0: that That, great okay very good well it's been an interesting week for me Um, we had a trailer for those of you don't know we had a trailer donated to the church it's a 16 foot trailer beautiful trailer actually it's quite new it's not quite as big as our uh, PA Hot Mills trailer as far as height go but the length is the same inside anyway um, Kelly Farrell Uh, through his business, was able to donate a whole bunch of beautiful structured steel shelving. And so we got all the shelving put in, which can hold about 53 containers full of clothes inside there now. That's how big it is. Plus, I get a call from Marlene, Marla, and Marla said, now Pastor Jay, I need a place to sort in there. And I said, well, I'm not sure because it's kind of a these are really kind of tall, and they go right up to the roof. And she goes, "Oh, we've got to have that," and so we were able to work it out. And we got a nice big sorting area. I got to paint it painted and sanded, and anyway, we're just the only thing left is just put some lights in it. But that should be a really neat blessing to conjunct with our shower trailer. So that'll be our storage of our clothes, and then our shower trailer will have all the clothes we're giving out. And uh, so that's just really been a blessing. And so thank you, Kelly, for all that you did to make that possible. And then um, I had an interesting experience last night. as some of you know, one of our individuals who have been coming to church pretty faithfully and Bible studies is, is Trey Richardson. And Trey was arrested back on the 17th of October a month ago. and um, and uh, he had an argument with a girl, and there was some, there was some, you know, you can't, in, in the state of Washington, you can't actually touch someone when you're having an argument. You could get uh, in real trouble. Anyway, needless to say, Trey got in trouble. And he got arrested, and he's in jail. And so he's in jail, and um, so he, he, he's been in jail since the 17th of October, one month ago yesterday, and he had his hearing, and the judge is basically going to let him out the first of the year. So he's going to be in the rest of November and December. And um, he was pretty bummed about that. He was thinking he could possibly get out this Friday. So I had already scheduled to do a visit with him, and it's quite a little system. you to got to get set up to go visiting someone in jail. So I had already visited him once before. This would be my second visit. And last night at 7.30, the time ministers could go into the jail. I was there, and I, um, I, I rang the doorbell. They didn't even ask me who I was. They just unlocked the door. I went on in and into the outer area of the foyer, basically. And there's a glass there, and I'm talking to the lady behind the glass. And she says, the officer says, I'm so sorry, but the phones between the glass don't work. So I'm sorry, it's not going to work out tonight for you to talk to him. And I said, oh, man, I said, he's had a tough day. I said, I really was hoping to see him tonight. I totally understand, you know, when things aren't working correctly. I said, is there any way that I could see him, you know, in, in, a, in a private area and in somewhere in the jail? And she said, well, no, I don't think so, but I can certainly have my sergeant come out and talk to you. So the sergeant then came out, very nice gentleman. I started visiting with him and basically told him that, listen, I, you know, back in Auburn, I was a police chaplain for 14 years. I certainly understand the protocols within departments. I said, is there any way that I could go visit Trey and see him? And he said a few things to me, which I'm going to share with you a little bit later. But he said to me, he said, I'll, uh, I'll ask my commander, I don't know if the commander was there or at home. I'm not sure where he was. But he came back about um, 8, 10 minutes later, and he said, you know, we're going to let you go in. And I said, wow, that's great. And so I went in, and I visited with Trey. And here's Trey was very tearful to see me. He was just so thankful to see me. And when you're in jail in those hard, cold bricks, it's nice to see someone you know. Anyway, he said, thank you, Pastor Jay, for coming to see me tonight. Thank you so much. And I said, Trey, I'll tell you something. What they just told me out there was why I'm here. He goes, what do you mean? I said, they told me that you are a model in the jail. You're keeping your cell clean. You're speaking kindness to the officers you're polite in fact there was something you did sometime ago that this officer saw that you took extra measure to clean somebody else's stuff for them and um maybe food dropped in the i don't know what happened but he cleaned it and the uh, sergeant told me he said i've worked here for 10 years i've seen trey over the years and he's changing and it's good to see that he's, he's doing better. And so anyway, I was just really thrilled. So last night I had a Bible study with Trey from seven, about 7.50 till 9.30 last night. And I'm telling you, that kid is in the Bible and he wants to learn and know God. And so we had a really neat time last night. So I just really praise God for what he is doing. And uh, I look forward to seeing Trey back out. Um, of the jail, and and to be honest with you, I look forward to baptizing Trey and just uh, him devoting his life to the service of God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we begin our study this morning. Lord Jesus, we are here to worship you. You really are the audience, and what you hear is way more than words because you hear the beating of our heart, the natural inclinations of our life. And so today, dear Lord Jesus, we want to turn our lives over to you. We recognize, dear Lord, that we are unworthy of your goodness, of your love and your grace. But today, dear Jesus, we want to open up our hearts so that we might experience the fresh indwelling of your Holy Spirit So be with each one, whether we're here or or whether we're listening away from here. Guide us just now to hear something that will draw us closer to you, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. So I've been doing a series called This I Believe, and today is Faith, Works, and Obedience, and how that all kind of works together. You know, there are many different religions in the world, as you might know, and all the religions in the world offer some type of end goal. Uh, you could call it salvation, you can call it uh, reincarnation. There's, every religion offers something special to those who are devoted to that religion. And most religions have some type of a formula or schedule that is worked out for man to, to obtain the goal or the prize or ultimately that eternal security. And we're going to look at three categories with you here just for a moment to narrow down what the Bible teaches about faith, works, and obedience, and ultimately salvation. But there are a few things I want to just kind of go over with you quickly. There are three main categories um, that all religions can be broken up into these three basic parts, naturalism, pluralism, and theism. And naturalism is really the belief that nature and science are the answer. There is no God in naturalism to worship, only that inner power at your disposal. There's no salvation to speak of, and certainly there's no need for a savior.
1: Um,
0: The religions like this, you could say, are like Buddhism, Buddhism. Um, There's humanism, atheism, they all fall clearly under this category of, of naturalism, okay? Then the second one is what we call pluralism, which is multiple gods, and there are multiple ways of salvation. And again, self plays a big part in pluralism, and you would almost really say that in pluralism, self is your savior, um, those religions that fall under pluralism are um, Hinduism, the occult, many Native American tribes fall under pluralism. Um, the belief that there are multiple gods out there. you know, the Egyptians, their religion was pluralism, many, many gods. Today, in America, there's an American church that is actually one of the faster-growing churches. Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, its basic principle is pluralism. They fall under this religion, and some might say, well, how, how is that even possible? Well, they believe in millions, if not billions, of gods. In fact, they have, a, they have a statement, if you've never heard this before, is what you are, God was, what you are, God was, and what God is, you will become. That's pluralism. That one day you also could be a God and be, uh, uh, populate your own planet. That is under pluralism. Some have said even every time a baby boy is born in the Mormon church, it's potentially a new God is born. But then you have the final one, which is theism, which is that there is one supreme God creator, sovereign and judge. This is the belief in one supreme God And this is probably the most popular of all three and most people in the world fall under theism because it has three major religions under it. Those three major religions of theism is Judaism and then of course there's Islam and finally of course there's Christianity. Now Judaism, Islam, and Christianity kind of have a few things in common besides theism. They all believe the Old Testament Bible to be a sacred text. They all claim Father Abraham as an important part of their faith. They believe that this one God is creator of heaven and earth. And of course, we all know that Jerusalem is important to all three of these major religions. Yeah that's about that's about it when it comes to similarities. The differences however are vast and chilling when fully explored. Judaism of course is really a religion about history and the Israelite nation. It is about a people who are called by God and If one is to truly understand Judaism, they have to understand genealogies and history and all the rich stories and the promises and the the traditions that go along with Judaism. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all Jews are religious. There's conservative Jews and there's liberal Jews. But all of them kind of share that idea of that genealogy and the fact of their father Abraham as their as their father. It's really a it's it's almost a in a sense their religion is almost like a nationality. Kind of like if you meet a, a person from Germany, um, a lot of people from Germany who religious in their past, they 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 say well they're Lutheran. Well, they're Lutheran because they're Germans. They're not Lutherans because they were converted or they studied themselves into Lutheranism. They're just, it's kind of their nationality, goes with the territory. The second faith of theism is the illustration that we're going to use here this morning. And that is Islam. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Islam faith, which started somewhere early in the 7th century, was pretty much under the radar screen in the world, and it moved across the Middle East, across the oceans, and for the most part, it was out of sight, out of mind. And the Muslims are very clear there is but one God, Allah, and of course, then they talk about Muhammad as his prophet. And we talked about this a couple of weeks back, that the reason why they see Jerusalem is so important to their faith is because that's where they believe Muhammad was translated up into heaven, and you know um, was saw things of God in heaven. Uh, through history, the events of the bloody Crusades depict Christian warriors, sometimes even teenagers going from from down into the Holy Land to recapture the city of Jerusalem. And so there's been this wage for th- hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of years of the, between Christians and Muslims. And, of course, we know, as we talked about in the sermon a couple weeks ago, how um, you know, the uh, Dome of the Rock is built there in the very place where the, the Temple of, of Solomon and Zerubbabel and the Temple was built right there for, for God's people And now the Muslims have that holy site. And of course they have other holy sites like Mecca where they prostrate themselves when they pray five times a day. There's an interesting bit of history that some of you may know or not know, but when Martin Luther was pinning the 95 Thesis on the door of Wittenberg and the, the whole Reformation of the Christian movement, the Protestant movement, was coming to birth. The Catholic Church was not happy with what the little monk was doing up in Germany. And the Catholic Church was wanting to quiet this little monk in his theology. But interestingly, the... Muslims in Turkey to the east were advancing towards Rome. There was a problem. The church had to decide which was worse the little monk in Germany or the Turks coming from the east. And so, what happened for a period of about three to five years, they had to fight a war against the Turks. And when they pushed the Turks back into Turkey and away from Italy, guess what? The Reformation was full ablaze, and the fire could not be put out. Isn't that beautiful? It's really interesting how God works these things through in time. What is it about the Islamic faith that is so different from Christianity What is their path the same as ours, or is it just different in variations? Because they accept the Old Testament. They they like King David and Abraham and the Old Prophet. They even see Jesus as a great prophet. Well, one gentleman that... um, I have referred to many times before, and somebody who I deeply respect, his name is Alistair Hunt. He's actually spoken here before here, and he will be here uh, this next year. He's going to come and speak here again. But Alistair Hunt, he has his doctorate degree in finance, and he was hired by the power company in Saudi Arabia to go to Saudi Arabia and work there. So for many years, he would spend three weeks in Saudi Arabia and then come home for about a month and then go back to Saudi Arabia. And they paid him well to be over their finance program. And so he has a unique perspective when it comes to the Islam country of Saudi Arabia. During these years of traveling back and forth, he rubbed shoulders with a lot of Muslims. And you know, it's not like you can just go on, online and buy a ticket to Saudi Arabia and expect to fly there. I mean, this is, in a sense, a closed country. You've got to sign some documentation so that you will recognize that you are putting your life on the line if you come in to the country with a Bible or any Western propaganda or any alcohol. These are no-nos in the country. Alistair had to sign the agreement, getting permission to enter the country. No Western propaganda, no drugs. Nothing against the Muslim faith. The list was long and very direct. And it ended with the warning that if found with these possessions, it would be punishable by death. It is very riveting to hear Alistair share his experience. And he shares about how the Muslim church or the Muslim faith wants to produce goodness in their people. Okay? Okay? So, you know, in Saudi Arabia, they don't let you just listen to Western music. They don't let you go to a theater and watch a Western movie. They don't let you drink alcohol. There is no gambling. And by the way, women, you need to cover yourself. Okay? So these, so that you're not a temptation to men. So these are all things in Saudi Arabia. It's a very conservative country in Islam. But interestingly enough, they want to produce good deeds in their people. And so they have a way of doing it. They have a thing called the Mutuween, which is their virtue police. And, you know, for us, we have police officers that stop us if we're not wearing our seatbelt or if we don't stop at the stoplight. You know, that's what our police do. Well, their police, they're watching you whether you're watching something you shouldn't be watching whether you're listening to something you shouldn't be listening to, whether you're drinking something you shouldn't be drinking. Mutuin stands for pious man. And so this whole police force is bound by paid as well as volunteers that are made up of about 3,500 volunteers and police officers that watch people making sure that they follow the dictates of their faith. In Saudi Arabia, they have the power to arrest unrelated males and females caught socializing. Anyone, according to, um, according to Wikipedia, if you're caught in any way in a homosexuality situation, you'll be, you'll, prostitution, you'll be, um, you know, it, it's a death sentence. Additionally, they have, they, they have, um, make sure that there's no proselytizing of anyone's faith other than the Islam faith in Saudi Arabia. So you can see, if you're thinking about this for a second, you can see that what they're trying to do is they're trying to produce goodness and righteousness in their people on the exterior. Okay? On their exterior. We don't care what goes on in your mind or in your heart. We just want to make sure you do the right thing externally. And we're going to watch you to make sure that happens. So they push outside righteousness by making sure everybody is following the rules. In fact, a few years ago in California an imam, which is like a a religious leader, came to America and was arrested in a prostitution sting in California. He was sent back to Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia said, well, it's not his fault. You're not covering your women. You see, in other words, it wasn't his issue. It was the fault of the woman. And so he was... Still an imam in Saudi Arabia. The reality is that's very different than the way the gospel shows us the way in which we ought to live. Now, we know today we're living in very turbulent times. In fact, it's really easy to turn off the TV, to turn off the radio, and avoid what's really happening in our world, friends. This world is in great turmoil. And the wars we talk about, the crusades so long ago, oh, it's happening right now in our country and in other countries as well. I want to show you just a few pictures. And I realized this does not, and I want to make this very clear, this does not represent all Muslims because there are some very kind, decent Muslims. But there are on the other side some very vicious and antagonistic and you know there's a war going on right now with Hamas and these are some pictures I wanted to show you in the mindset of a Muslim this isn't about your choice for the better good of the whole is what matters your freedom doesn't matter There's a great deal of desire for Sharia law to take place and Sharia law is Muslim law where the Islams would dominate the world. And then finally, this one here, massacre those who insult Islam. Freedom, go to hell. Um, The reason why Freedom is so important and central to the gospel is because we believe God wants us to have a choice the choice is ours and that's why the Bible has made it clear in many verses, but this is just in Joshua 24:15. But if serving the Lord seems desirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. In other words, God does not want you to serve him because he is forcing you. He wants it to be a choice. He wants you to look at the evidence Understand who the Savior is and then embrace or deny. Whether the gods of your forefathers serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now remember, I said that theism has three main religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Actually, Judaism and Islam are very similar thread that is both dangerous and futile because it is a belief based on the fact that outward righteousness and outward virtue is all that God is concerned with. In, a couple of years ago, I had a dear friend who was a painter, commercial painter, and he was a Seventh-day Adventist, so he didn't want to work on Sabbath. And um, he went and he was painting a building for a um, Jewish-owned company. And the owner told him, now, we're closed on Saturday. And he goes, oh, that's okay. Well, I don't paint on Saturday anyway. And and the, um, the business owner, the Jewish business owner, told my member, he said, now, listen. If you paint if you want to you can paint on the back part of the of the building that's okay. We just don't want you painting on the front. Because someone may see. You see and my 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 friend said, "No, no, no, I'm not painting on the back or the front because God sees." And I don't want to do that on the Sabbath. But you see Judaism and Islam are both concerned about outward appearances rather than inward transformation. And that's what God wants us to have, inward transformation. And that's where we get into the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul opens up our eyes to what Judaism was really teaching. The Apostle Paul, as Kelly mentioned earlier, coming from as a Pharisee, he understood exactly the core of Judaism and how futile it was. And so here's what Paul said. In 3, verse 3 and through 11, it says, We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Jesus Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. And then he's gonna tell you why. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Well, why does he have more? Circumcised on the eighth day, just the way it's supposed to be, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, he's deliberating all his successes. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. In other words, outward, I was doing great. Everything was clicking off just the way it was supposed to be. But it was leaving me empty. And so Paul goes on to say, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Now, that's an awful nice word to use there, rubbish. The King James Version would call it dung, okay? When I studied Greek in college, we looked at this word. It was only used once in the whole Bible. Of course, the Bible in the New Testament, basically. Uh, Paul uses it, and it's a it's a slang word, a dirty word for dung, okay? In other words, when the church read this, they gasped and said, Oh, what a word. Why did you use this word? Because Paul wants you to realize that everything that seemed like was for so important is absolutely nothing now for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, his Savior, what God, Jesus, has given to him. That I may gain Christ and be found in Jesus, not having, and this is it, this is the key right here, dear family, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's the key. It isn't about doing all the right things so other people can see this. It's about surrendering and submitting to a Jesus who has the righteousness to give to me and to you. Paul would finish this statement by saying, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. You see, Paul here is speaking about his Jewish heritage, and our our understanding of the Muslim faith and the Jewish faith intersect at this point, because they both have put their focus on outward obedience. Are you following me? Outward obedience rather than inward transformation. They are looking at behavioral correctness, legalistic righteousness. They have created righteousness man's way. And according to this converted follower of Jesus, Paul would say that doing it that way is insignificant. And in fact, it's like cow dung. It's rubbish. Rubbish. So we have three great theistic religions and Christianity is the third. And so it's Christianity in which breaks with the other two. And yet so sadly, I have to say this with sadness in my heart, it's so sad that there are many people in Christianity that have adopted the gospel and twisted the gospel to think of it in terms like the Muslims, and the Jews. That somehow my outward obedience is winning for me an eternal salvation. And that's where Christianity goes awry. I want you to look at Paul once again here in Philippians chapter one. It says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through what? Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Look at the construction of the way Paul words this. He wants us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through our obedience. It doesn't come through us doing everything right. And then later on in chapter 3 of Philippians or five, Ephesians 5, Paul would say, For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. It is very clear yet so easily forgotten. The righteousness that matters to God is cultivated and expressed by the Holy Spirit of God living inside you and me. In other words, you want to impress God? It isn't what you do outside. It isn't what you manufacture outside. You want to impress God? Kneel down by your bed and surrender your heart to Him. You want to impress God? Admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that nothing I can offer God, nothing I can offer God is holy except what he will do through me and through you. That's what impresses God, is that you and I be instruments of his praise. Whenever we try to get the outward behavioral stuff right without God within, we are doing exactly what the Jews had tried to do and what the Muslims are trying to do. We are trying to produce righteousness so that we look good to other people rather than the mess that we actually are. The Bible makes it clear. Where Christianity breaks with the other two religions is particularly in this regard. Jesus, 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 he's accomplished it all. What Jesus provides, what Jesus promises, that's the gospel. Jesus is God who has come in the flesh to accomplish what is impossible for man to accomplish. Alistair said it best. If there was a religion out there that was based on man's behavior for salvation, then Saudi Arabia has it down cold. They've done it the best they could do it. Martin Luther was of the same strain, you know. Martin Luther thought he had to impress God, and so he would lie on a bed of nails, he would pray on stairs and do the uh, uh, faith prayers as much as he could and beat his body to somehow impress God that he could be a faithful servant until he realized that it wasn't about his external behavior that would get him salvation. I love this text. This text I don't know, I think I found it when I was early in my pastoral ministry, but it has always spoken to me. It is because of Jesus, because of God, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who, what has Jesus become for us? Who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is, Jesus has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Amen? Boast in the Lord. Jesus is my righteousness, not me. I cannot offer my righteousness to Jesus. I have nothing to offer him. But his righteousness, he has everything to offer to me. Paul wants the reader to grasp both in knowledge and in reality that Jesus is where righteousness begins. God came down and lived perfectly, not just as an example for us to somehow try try to strive to emulate. Oh, if I study Jesus and I try to be exactly like him, what would Jesus do just exactly like him? Listen, that's not our journey. It isn't to be just like Jesus. It's to let the very... King of heaven, live inside of us so that he can do the work through us that will imitate him. It isn't us buckling down and red-knuckling and trying to be just like Jesus. It's spending time with the master and letting the master live out of us. And when the master lives out of us, we don't have to try. We just have to surrender and let God do the rest. Paul would use these words, which I love in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit of God is living in you, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things of the fruit of the Spirit. And dear family, when you're sensing in your life whether it's with another member or whether it's with a family member or whether it's an, a, a worker that you work with, whatever, when you're sensing and feeling in your life that these attributes are not being experienced in your life, don't try to produce them. Just go to the master and let God do something miraculous in your life. And he can do it where we cannot. We have been given free choice, the liberty to control our behaviors and our thoughts through His power, so that when God comes in, the Lord and Master changes everything. You see, if you were a Jew, or if you're a Muslim, or if you're a Christian, you all three of you would speak of sin. You all three would speak of sin and and, and wrong activities and, and evil behavior. But the true solution to sin, the gospel solution to sin, is not for you and I as Christians to get better at not sinning. The solution is getting to know Jesus more and letting him do something in us that we cannot do on our own. Don't try, dear family, to be a Christian without Christ. It doesn't work. It's useless. Realize that Jesus, through his magnificent spirit, can enter our life and do what is truly a blessing. But we have to go a step further. We can't end there. Remember, my sermon is about works and obedience. So we have to go a step further here because no matter how good our behavior might be, no matter how righteous our choices might be, and our activity might appear, no matter how well we might even observe the Ten Commandments, the truth is that our behavior does not make us, say it with me now, our behavior does not make us Righteous. Never will our acts of goodness make us righteous. When God enters, changes will take place. When Jesus is the Lord, then our attitudes will change and they'll soften. I love this text here, 2 Corinthians. You've heard me use it many times. But we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ, behalf, to be reconciled to God. In other words, if you understand Christianity at all, it's your relationship with God that matters. The reconciliation that matters, if that isn't taken care of, nothing else matters. And then he says, but God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Not by our works, not by our good deeds, not by our observance of the Sabbath, but by Jesus' good works, we are given righteousness in Christ The ultimate gift that our sinless Savior gave to us was his sinless life on our account. And by accepting and surrendering and acknowledging Jesus as our Lord, we can feel free to rest in his righteousness. And that's what faith can do. The... um, The letter to Titus was a beautiful letter, and in chapter 3, Paul says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us for all the good works we had done. No. He saved us not because of the good works we had done, not because of the righteous things we had done. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the electricity that has connected us to the very throne of God, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace. Some say, what does that mean? What does that word mean, justified? The best way to describe that word is just as if you had never sinned. Being justified by His grace, we become heirs having the hope of eternal life. His righteousness reconciles us to God. We are adopted as part of God's family. We have a future in His eternal home. By choice, we can have a relationship with the God of heaven, and He will give us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Now, every religion has a behavioral expectation attached to it. Yet for those in the pure gospel of Christianity, we understand that behavior is the result of the relationship. Behavior is the result of the relationship. If you don't have the relationship, then it's just filthy rags called righteousness by works. Genuine Christianity is the only one that declares us as having a perfect record in Christ. You want to stand before the God of the universe? Stand with the perfect record of Jesus covering you. Then I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about all the failures and mishaps and mistakes and injuries I've done because I stand in the righteousness of Jesus. The motivation for positive behavior should have nothing to do with record keeping and outward praise. Rather, it is because of the Lord Jesus and what he's accomplished for me and for you that we surrender to his mercy and receive his grace and... We bathe in His forgiveness. Amen? We bathe in His forgiveness as we ask the sweet Holy Spirit to manifest Himself through us. No wonder this verse rattled the very door of the Reformation. In the early days of Martin Luther, this verse... had lit the fire in this man. This man who was a monk from the Catholic Church, this man who thought that everything he did, he had to please God, he had to work it out, he had to work it out so that he could somehow obtain salvation. This text right here is the one that changed his life. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. By faith. It isn't by works, it's by faith. So where do obedience come in? How does it fit into salvation's plan? Obedience, again, is the result of sincere relationship with Jesus. It is the outpouring of our allegiance to the one who's lived a perfect life, died for us, rose again, and gave it all to us because of his love. His love draws us, and our love, and we respond back in love. And so love is the key factor here. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, the only way you're going to have a relationship is that love has to be part of it. Amen? I don't want a relationship where love's not a part of it. I don't want a relationship where choice isn't a part of it. I don't want someone to take a gun and put it to my head and say, you better be nice to me and love me. That is not a fun relationship. It has to be based on love. And Jesus says, if you love me, if you have a relationship with me, I've got some guardrails for you to help you to live the happiest you'll ever live on planet Earth. Keep my commandments. It's our choice to love the lover of all times this sufficient Savior, the soon-and-coming King. And and family, following Jesus is not complicated. It calls for our time and devotion to Him. It calls for our heart to surrender our self-will to His Spirit. And yes, we will have good deeds and we will have encouraging acts, but, but Christ explains in very simple terms their purpose. There is a purpose for good works. There is a purpose for doing what is right. And I love the way Jesus says it because he's always so dead on perfect. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, this is the words of Jesus, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. And praise your Father in heaven. You know, this last week, we've been having Bible studies up at our house. And my house, my living room is kind of dark, especially in the nighttime evening when it's dark outside. And uh, so we decided we're going to put can lights in our living room. And we, first we thought four of them and then maybe six of them. And finally we got to eight of them. We put eight can lights in our house, in our li- living room. And I'm telling you, man, you hit that button, and boy, it lights up. And Dad no longer is complaining about reading his Bible in the living room. He can read now because it's all light. You know, when people want to see Jesus, are they going to find him in the bar? Are they going to find him at the football game? They're going to find him in the lives of people who love Jesus. And so it makes sense, right? Let your light shine. Let your joy come pour forth so others can praise God in your presence because of your life. I choose to submit to my righteous and holy Jesus, surrender my activities, and even, and get this now, this is different than all other religions, my thoughts. I want to surrender my thoughts to the Lord. It all starts right here. We're told in spirit of prophecy that the greatest battle ever waged is between your ears. Yeah? It starts right here. Now some might wonder, where do we put so much emphasis maybe on obedience of God's commandments? Well, if there's a marriage of two healthy people... There's a desire for these two healthy people to be in a marriage relationship. One of the things that two healthy people have in marriage is they want to know how to please and bless and encourage each other. That's really important in two healthy people in a relationship. If you have a relationship where the other person doesn't really care how you feel and want to really bless you and encourage you, that's not a healthy relationship. Well, Jesus wants us to have a healthy relationship with us. And guess what? He wants you to know what pleases him. And what pleases him actually will bless you. Isn't that amazing? So, so, you know, when you think of Jesus and the commandments, the Bible's very clear. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? They're not burdensome. They're not burdensome because the more we follow in his steps, the greater blessings our lives can in, in, have in our life. So, so his bur- commandments are not burdensome. As a sinner saved by grace, we can choose to obey the king of glory. And our obedience is based and ushers forth from gratitude and humility and love. So, so think of it with me for a second as we think of the Ten Commandments as our love response to God. How many are there? Ten. Are we awake today? Yes. Okay. Here they are. Do not have other gods but me in your life. That makes sense. Do not have idols and images that you worship or bow down to, For I'm jealous of your love. that makes sense. Do not take my name in vain. Respect my name and honor it. That makes sense. Of course, in a relationship, you want your name respected. I can hear the heart of God. Remember what I did as your creator in making the seventh day Sabbath of rest. For you to experience my presence. All other days you must be about your secular work. But on my day of rest, I want time with you. Set it aside as a sacred date between me and you. Boy, that makes sense. That's exactly what a lover would say, right? Do not take your anger Do not take life in your anger and out of revenge. Honor the life of other people. Do not be sexually unfaithful with each other. Be pure in mind and deed. Do not take others. Do not take from others what does not belong to you. Respect what others possess. Makes sense. Do not speak statements that you know are false about other people. Keep your words truthful and sound. And finally, we're going to go right here. Right here only. In your mind, where no one but you are aware, do not covet others' things. They belong to other people, and it will hurt you and cause you to do all other manner of wrong things if you covet what is not yours. Well, that makes sense. In fact, the 10th commandment, the coveting commandment, is the only commandment that other people cannot observe. But if we treasure coveting in our hearts, it will be manifested in the breaking of other commandments that will be observed. You see, these remarkable Ten Commandments are not burdensome, for they are guardrails of decency. They are a path of beauty. They protect us. They bless us. They benefit our lives. And above all, they shower praise to God for obedience. And that's why God wants obedience. Not so we can impress him, not so that we can have a scorecard to earn our way to heaven. It's so that we might be a praise to the one who has given us eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, dear family, we serve others because he served us. We bless others because he has blessed us. And finally, we sacrifice for Jesus. Because Jesus has sacrificed so much for us. And I want to pause just for a moment. I think of the ministry of what this church is doing with PA Hot Meals, 12-Step Regeneration, and the thousands of hours now added up with all the volunteers that we have done. It's a sacrifice. There's no doubt about it. But the sacrifice is because he sacrificed for us. And so often when we pray out there to trailer, I love praying, God, thank you for letting us serve you tonight. Because when you have done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me, right? And so I pray